The scripture reading for this morning is Philippians 4, 4 through 13, and it can be found on page 1163 in the NIV Bibles in your pew. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's the word of God. Well, good morning. It's nice to be back with uh, Redeemer Church. <laughs> uh, and I'm sorry Mark is not here, but we're happy for him. We're hoping that he's having a great time on his sabbatical. And I always appreciate uh, coming and having an opportunity to address this wonderful congregation. You are so friendly. You are so welcoming. Uh, you are so affirming. <laughs> So don't disappoint me today. <laughs> I'm setting you up. Uh, and one of the things I really appreciate, sometimes uh, Mark says, well, I'm doing a series, and would you take this sermon and, and, uh, in this series? So I say, sure. Uh, this time, he said, you can preach on anything you want. And I, uh, so I thought, well, I'll preach on one of my favorite sermons. Uh, and I got ready, and I started working on it. And uh, I was moving along and looking forward to using the material that I've used in the past. They call it a barrel, but I can never use a barrel. I always have to kind of redo everything. Uh, but then came the 4th of July, and there was such an emphasis on it's July 4th, and we ought to love this country. Um, and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to do another sermon that uh, emphasizes love of country. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to go back to one of the sermons I, I've used in the past. And uh, I hope you're going to 
enjoy and also uh, learn uh, from what had happened. You know, this passage of scripture that was just read, uh, Paul talks about being imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so it is good to be imitators of really good people like Paul. <laughs> there aren't a lot of Pauls around. But uh, anyway, if we find people that are really good, you know, it's a good thing to imitate them. And so this morning, I thought back on my Navy career as a Navy chaplain, and I had many wonderful experiences. But my most memorable experience, and the one I keep going back to and reminding myself of, was my experience with the American POWs when they came out of North Vietnam. They were released from captivity in 1973, 45 years ago. Wow, that's a long time. Some of you weren't born. Uh, but uh, believe me, it happened. And the total number, can I get the next slide, please? Is that a way? Uh, total number was four, 591 returned in what was called Operation Homecoming. They were coming home. It was about two months worth of coming home in groups of about 60. They would bring them home in these groups. It was scheduled so that release was based on the time in prison. The first group had spent longest the longest time as prisoners of war, and they were in prison from six to 10 years when they first came out. And the operation was called Operation Homecoming. And I was one of the chaplains on Operation Homecoming team. In fact, I was stationed in the Philippines at the time and um, in Subic Bay. And I was near Clark Air Force Base where this C-141 landed. You can see the POWs coming off the plane there. Through the years, I've thought about how our POWs responded to their catastrophe. I've thought about their brutal imprisonment. And I've asked the question time and again, you know, how did they survive? Uh, what was most helpful to them? And what I found was that they had forged certain principles for survival. I think principles that worked under the most strenuous circumstances. These are principles that are relevant for us today. We were singing a couple of songs that talked about trouble and difficulty and you know, so how do we handle that? And these principles, I think, will help us to handle hardships and ordeals, the catastrophes that challenge us or will challenge us at some point in the future. What do you think about these 12 teenagers that are stuck in that cave in, in Thailand? Wow, what a tragedy, what a catastrophe. By the time I left this morning, left home this morning, six had been rescued out of that cave. Uh, yeah, hallelujah. And we just prayed, Lord, we pray for those who are helping those boys and enable them, Lord, we pray uh, to bring the rest of them out safely in Jesus' name. Um, so anyway, I'd like to share with you the four principles that uh, enabled our POWs to survive and even to excel. First principle was an emphasis on gratitude. <laughs> That's, that may sound strange, but it is true. Uh, you know, one of the things that we need to develop it within ourselves, the ability to say, thank you, God, in all circumstances. 
Some of you may have witnessed Navy, chap uh, Navy Captain Jerry Denton on television as he spoke for the uh, POWs. He was the leading officer in charge. And this large C-141 aircraft transported them from Hanoi. It rolled to a stop at a bright red welcoming carpet. It was Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. And Denton, the senior officer uh, among them, deplaned, representing his fellow returnees, said the following. Can you read it? We are honored. Now, now let me imagine, five, six, seven, eight years, they've been in prison, they've been tortured. We are honored to have had the opportunity to serve our country under difficult circumstances. Whew. Could he mean it? We are profoundly grateful, gratitude, to our Commander-in-Chief and our nation for this day. God bless America. No whining, no complaining. Instead, profound gratitude for what? For the opportunity to serve our country under difficult circumstances. Isn't that a beautiful statement? I mean, how would you... Coming off a plane, the world is watching. How would you phrase it if you were the senior officer? Isn't that a beautiful statement? I'll never forget those stunning and self-effacing words. Two buses took the 60 men to the nearby Clark Air Force Base Hospital. The elevators carried them to the third floor where the three, for three days they would be debriefed, they would be examined medically, psychologically, fitted in new uniforms, and connected, most important of all, to their loved ones back home by telephone. When the men reached that third floor of the hospital, away from the public view, there was an explosion of celebration. They cheered. They clapped one another on the back. They embraced one another. They danced in circles. <laughs> <laughs> One of them bounced up and down. On the, he saw, he saw a, a large sofa there, and I watched him. He, he, he started bouncing up and down on the, on, the, on, the, on the cushion because he wanted to feel what that was like. I mean, he hadn't been on a nice, soft circus, uh, surface like that uh, for years. Uh, could we see the posters? These were, uh, this is a, a picture of a poster. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of de dependents at Subic Bay and also Clark Air Force Base. And the dependents made these posters. Uh, this was made by two of our uh, children, our two girls, when they were just very young, just, uh, I think, eight and nine, something like that. Anyway, Tina and Dawn made this. And you'll notice that there are signatures on these. On these and they, it was a big poster like this. And so plastered all over the hospital uh, where the men could see these welcome posters from the kids. And they took the time, they were so grateful, they took the time to, to autograph their names. And so you'll notice that there are 20, 30, 40 uh, names that, uh, that are POWs on those posters. Going into the hospital room, I observed one of the men spotting a Red Cross comfort kit on his bunk. And in the kit, in the packet, was a toothbrush and a tube of toothpaste. He hadn't brushed his teeth for five years. <laughs> 
So he bent over the sink and began brushing, and he just kept squeezing more and more toothpaste out of the brush, on the brush, until the tube was empty. And then he went looking for his escort officer and asked for another tube of toothpaste. It felt so good, he didn't want to stop. One of the returnees who was uh, a friend of mine, he was in my company at the Naval Academy. He had been a POW for six years. And like all the others, he longed for the day when he would be reunited with his family. But one of the chaplains, and I'm glad it wasn't me, had to tell him that his wife was planning to divorce him. The news devastated him. He couldn't believe his wife and children were going to leave him. I mean, he dreamed, they all did, of the day they would be reunited with loved ones. Well, the next day, he and the other men were taken to the exchange, which is like a shopping center, so that they could buy gifts for their loved ones when they got home. My friend just walked around in a daze, wondering what to buy a family that was no longer there for him. Before he got on the bus, he finally bought something. He bought a box of turtle candy. And he bought it for an old friend, me. It was the only purchase, the only gift that he had purchased. And on the box, he taped a little note. And it read as follows. Thank God, I'm an American. And then he signed his name. And I carried that little note in my wallet for 20 years until I lost my wallet. Here was a man who had been in prison for six years, brutalized by torture, dreaming of the day he would be free and reunited with his wife and children, and on the very day in which he was set free, he was told that instead of reunion, there would be divorce. So what was his response? Well, he remembered the principle of gratitude that he had practiced as a POW, and the principle was this. Find something even in the midst of tragedy, pain, and desolation, find something, anything, for which he could be grateful. And so he turned his focus away from the tragic loss of his marriage and reached down for something that was extremely important to him. It was something that no one could take away from him. It was something for which he was eternally grateful. He was an American. And for that, he was profoundly grateful. And he gave thanks for that to God. Thank God, I'm an American. Huh. The Bible also emphasizes thankfulness. The Bible emphasizes gratitude. The passage we just read in everything by prayer with thanksgiving. 
make your requests known to God. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, that great challenge, give thanks in all circumstances. We are to give thanks in all all circumstances, not for all circumstances. We don't give thanks for certain things, bad things, tragedies. But in all circumstances, we need to find something to give thanks for. Okay, second principle. An emphasis on togetherness, on solidarity, on teamwork. Second principle of the principle that the men emphasized was the importance of togetherness, solidarity. Their motto was this, unity before self. If one got a bottle of vitamins, the whole group within, initially they were separated into groups of one or two and they were much in seclusion, but toward the end of their separation, toward the end of their their stay in Hanoi, they were in larger groups of 40 or 50 and they got some things some vitamins and some other gifts that would come through. And then if somebody got one uh, a gift, then everybody got to share in it. Uh, one of the men told me that his prayer each day consisted of two requests. Lord, <laughs> if someone has to stay behind, let it be me. Uh, that's a tough one. The second prayer, dear God, give me the courage and strength to pray the first prayer with sincerity. (laughs) He was trying to be honest with himself. Again and again, I saw the spirit of brotherhood. I saw the spirit of camaraderie. When the men were making their first telephone calls home, I saw one of the returnees put his arm around another one. He had just gotten word that one of his children had suffered a tragedy during his departure, during his time in prison. And so the other POW heard about it also, and he put his arm around him, and he said, remember, Bob, it's still like it was back in Hanoi. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And when he said that, of course, my ears picked up because I was, he, was, he was quoting Philippians 4.13. Except there it says, I, I can do all things through Christ who, can strain, who strengthens me. But they had changed the I to the we. Uh, remember, Bob, it's still like it was in Hanoi. We, we together, we in solidarity, we in unity. We can do all things. We'll get through this together. Isn't it something how, uh, boy, you're listening to the news this morning. I was listening to uh, the rescue of these 12 boys and the importance of these SEAL teams working together uh, to extract these 12 young boys that are trapped in the cave. These men were greatly strengthened by leaning on one another, sticking up for one another, being proud when any of them successfully resisted the torture to make them confess to trumped up crimes. So whether we're talking about success as a family or in business or in athletics or in schools or churches or as a nation, we must be committed to one another, trust in one another, caring for one another, teamwork, unity. It was an extremely important principle that sustained the POWs. Third principle, emphasis on honor. The third principle that the men followed was to be men of honor. 
They had been schooled in the military code of conduct and they knew that they could be men of honor only by keeping the code. I was uh, free to visit the POWs. I remember walking into one of their rooms and uh, <laughs> this one POW said, hey chaplain, hey I'm glad you're here. You know there's something I want to tell you. Uh, I've thought about our experience as POWs and um, I'm convinced that everyone should have the experience of being a POW for at least a year just to get his head on straight. <laughs> and when he said that, I kind of started backing out of the room, you know. I, you must be kidding. And uh, he could see that I was a little shocked by his comment and with a smile, he admitted that the experience wasn't all that beneficial the second through the sixth year, but he insisted that everyone should have the benefit of what they had to endure for at least that first year. Well, life had been stripped to the bare essentials for these men. So they grabbed hold of what really counts. And what really counts well, one said I had years to make a thorough look at my life. I played back in my mind all my actions, my motives, my priorities. There's no way, no way that I'm going to be back, go, I'm going to go back to my old ways. I have new priorities. So what did they determine was important? Here's what they thought was important. For many, it was the uh, call to the simple things of life, like just seeing the sun shine on flowers and trees and grass. As I say, some of them hadn't seen light for months at a time. See a cloud in the distance, that was special. To share love with family and friends again, oh, that was big. To be a better husband, oh, I wish I were a better husband, I wish I were a better dad. To be able to stand again in freedom, was that the main thing, freedom? Being out of prison, I don't think that was the main thing. But it was important. More than freedom was the ability to return home with honor. And the way to do that was spelled out in the military code of conduct. The senior ranking officer, Jerry Denton again, told them what they had to do. Take torture until you're in danger of being mental, until you in danger of losing mental faculties. Take torture until you're in danger of losing mental faculties. And then give a phony story. Die before giving classified information. How important is classified information for the military or for anyone in the in the <laughs> in our country, classified information, die. What a standard, huh? You think of standard like that, a military man who went through what they went through, sees what's happening in classified information in our time, wow. If broken, don't despair. They will break you. They will probably break you, but don't despair. Bounce back as soon as you can to the hard line. Let me, remind, let me remind you of John McCain, his story. 
He was in that first group. He was a POW for five and a half years. For the first couple of years, he had broken bones which were untreated. He was feverish, close to death. The North Vietnamese offered John his early release because his dad was Sinkpak Fleet, Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific Fleet. The enemy was trying to use McCain as a propaganda tool. See how well we are treating the Americans. See how kind we are to release the sixth son of the Admiral in charge of the Pacific Fleet. But McCain refused to be released early. <laughs> More important than freedom was honor. He did not want to be treated better than the other men. He would not accept release until the men captured before him were released first, according to the U.S. Code of Conduct. Boy, I remember when I first heard that story and I thought to myself, oh boy, John. <laughs> I knew him at the academy, he was a friend. And I thought, good for you. St. Paul was a prisoner and he urged us to keep our thoughts focused on the honorable. Philippians 4.8, he writes, finally, brother, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, think about these things. And that's what the POWs did. That's what we are to focus on. As our priorities, our POWs demonstrated their commitment to honor time and again. Well, there's a fourth principle that I especially like talking about. It's the emphasis on faith in God. It's the most important principle. The question in the mind of the outside world was how our men endured the torture. Imagine being burned with cigarettes pressed against your skin. Or having bamboo slivers pushed up your fingernails. Or having an electric wire plugged into the wall outlet with bare wire held against your body. Or being forced to walk on your knees through broken glass. Or other atrocities far worse. Really too gruesome to mention. Here's a picture of a POW being tortured. His shoulders being dislocated. They would either shove it all the way down to his feet, dislocating the shoulders, or they would tie a rope around where the, tie, where the rope is on the wrist. They would tie that and throw it over a beam and, 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 and uh, lift, lift the man up, uh, dislocating his shoulders by lifting him up over that beam. And the big question was, how did they endure? Well, maintaining their chain of command was important. Receiving communication and encouragement from other POWs was important. They were talking this morning on TV with regard to the, uh, the rescue of these boys, how important the communication is. Hearing from one another, encouraging one another. Uh, 
initially the men were starved, but later on, a couple of months before they released them, they gave them a lot of protein, and so all the guys started working out. And so keeping your body as fit as possible, because they didn't know whether they were going in, back into torture or not, was important. And they were doing 60 and 70 push-ups every morning, uh, getting, getting themselves in shape. The key, the real key, more important than all of these things, for most of the men with whom I spoke was faith in God. Faith in their country and faith in one another. But the most important was faith in God. Confidence that he would bring them through. On the morning of the arrival of the first group, a high-ranking army officer came to me and he said, you know, chaplain, I wouldn't consider myself a particularly religious man. And I probably wouldn't say this to just anyone, but I want to tell you because you're a chaplain. Without God, I would not have been able to make it. Now, when somebody gives you something like that, <laughs> and he just stopped, I wanted to hear more. So what a counselor often does is repeat your words or tries to repeat your words to let you know that he understands and he wants to hear more. So I said, in other words, God really helped you. And he said, oh, no, 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 chaplain. God didn't merely help me. I said, without God, I could not have made it. And I could not have made it without him. I was amazed by the number of stories of faith that these men shared, not because I was pumping, I wasn't pumping them, but because they just had to be told. It was a kind of spontaneous sharing of good news that is so apparent in the New Testament. <laughs> I'll never forget this guy, first night, Air Force Colonel already had his uniform on, walked up to me and he had a high-pitched voice. And he said, Chaplain, when my jet went from 600 knots to zero and my feet hit North Vietnamese soil, God was standing next to me and he was 10 stories high and the top of his shoes came to the top of my head. And he said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to take care of you. Now this colonel, <laughs> you know, he was very intense. And this was our first night with these men. And we didn't know what kind of psychological or emotional health they were in. And I thought to myself, this poor guy needs to talk to a psychologist. And he could see that I was a little concerned <laughs> about the way he was coming on. And so his face kind of softened and warmed 
and he smiled and he reached out and he took my hand and put his other hand over it and he says, and you know, chaplain, in a nice soft voice, <laughs> and you know, chaplain, God kept his promise. <laughs> Very special. These POWs prayed and prayed for an early release. But God didn't answer that prayer, so they changed their prayers from, Lord, deliver me from this nightmare to, Lord, give me the strength to bear this trial. Some even changed their prayers from, oh God, destroy these vicious enemies to, oh God, I forgive these enemies. Help me pray for them. Well, after three months of interacting with several hundred POWs, I went away feeling that the central message of these men was this. No matter what your problem, you can trust God. You can rely upon him. He will see you through. So how about it? Can you take these principles up? Will you make them part of your life? Gratitude, togetherness, honor, faith in God, trust in his love and power, confidence that he will see you through. No matter the problem, that he will take care of you. See, he did it for the POWs. These principles worked for the POWs, and they will work for us. God took care of these men in all of their distress, in all of their catastrophe, and he can take care of us. Will you trust him? Will you commit yourself to him? Let's pray.